episode 17 of Glass of Joe. I'm PJ Glasser alongside Joe Malfa. Hope everybody's having a good week, Joe. A little bit different episode this week. We do not have a guest, but we sure have a whole lot to talk about. U.S. Open and golf's going on, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, heating up. We had week one of the NFL season, college football week three starting, SEC starting next week. Big Ten has said they're going to return. Pac-12 might be returning. So we got a whole lot to talk about. Um, but we got to start with the United States Open Championship. We're recording this on Thursday morning, so it's going on right now. As yeah, I've, I've got it on up on the TV in the corner. and I know you've got it like taped and paused in the background because you don't want to miss a single shot. So I won't tell you anything that happened. I appreciate that. I'd, just be, uh, I'd be too distracted. You'd be <laughs> in a conversation, might ask me a question, and I'd be too glued into the TV and wouldn't uh, it's, know what talking about. That's a fair so, point. But this yeah, course we, is ridiculous as I'm watching it. We, I, I mean, I know all week the talk was about how this was going to be. The winner will be lucky to be near par. Um, and I see why. Now, the 12th is 643 yards. That's all. I mean, that's a six iron and a pitching wedge for Bryson DeChambeau. But, right. like, for the rest of the field, that's a challenge. Um, and, and it's a beautiful course. Uh, I have no idea how this is going to go. We'll get to our picks like we always do. I don't know how to pick this thing. This course is a monster. I heard and the, the conditions Tom are Rinaldi. perfect. Right they now. are perfect, at least. They're but perfect I heard, right I heard this stat from Tom Rinaldi. Uh, in the tournaments that have been held here, only two players, only two winners have ever finished below par. Ever. Ever at Waynefoot. So mm-hmm. don't expect any good numbers this week. No. Uh, the winner, I mean, it's going to depend on the conditions, but the winner is almost certainly going to be above par. Um, on the note of no guests, just for our listeners, uh, apologies for the 16-week streak ending, but our guest this week uh, was related to Big Ten football. And with the news the other day, yesterday, I guess, I'm losing track of the days, uh, of them coming back, it was a whole whirlwind for him. And yep. we will pull him back in at the beginning of October instead. Uh, so, so look out for that. Uh, but it, like you said, it, it's a loaded week, so it's not a bad week uh, to, to go ahead and, and have just us because there's so much to cover. And exactly. now. Uh, with the U.S. Open, PJ, who do you like? I, I teased that we would get to our picks. I don't know. I, I really – there's just such a challenge at this course. Right. Uh, you know, we, we've got our boy Sanzi from a couple of weeks ago on, on NBC and the Golf Channel calling it. Yeah. Uh, he gave us his pick back then, but I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I told you I liked more Cowell for the PGA, and I felt good about that one. I don't have a pick that I like as much – as him going into the U.S. Open, the three guys I did bet to win that I like this week the best are Rory, Adam Scott, and Patrick Cantley. Those were the okay. three I bet. The top three of DJ, Rom, Justin Thomas, you know, at a course like this, you would think the best players in the world are going to be towards the top of the leaderboard. The way DJ's playing right now how, and the way Rom's playing right now, the way Thomas is playing, how far they can hit it how good their short games are. I mean, they're complete players. Um, They're going to be tough to beat. I like Rory, though, this week. I just think he's due. Adam Scott, he's so steady. He's not a guy that'll go out and shoot eight under, nine under par on really any course. Nobody's shooting eight under, nine under on this course anyway. Exactly. But he's steady, which is what you need. He'll shoot one over, even, two over every day. He'll be right in the thick of it. And Cantley's the same kind of way. There's no flashy part of his game. He's just – he's steady. Steady's the key word in the U.S. Open 
because guys know they're going to make bogeys. It's the dudes who can avoid the big numbers that are going to win this week. So those would be my three. As you know, I really hate picking chalk. I assume yeah. you're Dustin Johnson, which so is a I'm not. pick. But really? I'm not. I, I'm, for this week, I definitely didn't want to go chalk because of just how crazy the course is. But before I get to my pick, are you surprised? And the, the benefit of recording this on Thursday morning instead of our usual Wednesday yeah. afternoon uh, is we, we've seen how the course has played out a little bit. And I'm not going to – my pick from who before the day – was it's going to stay. I'm not changing because of how I've seen the early Thanks, scores. But are you surprised to see so many low numbers already? I, I mean, almost through very, 18 and the, and the leaderboards minus three, minus four. It's, that's not at all what anybody expected. No. And again, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, the conditions are the key right now because there's really not much wind. Joe, once that wind starts picking up and these holes play even longer than what they're playing at face value right now, I mean, it's, it's going to be impossible. So the best players know, all the players know, they have to get after it today. You have to put yourself in a good spot because you got to figure that they're, this might be the only day that you're shooting under par. And, uh, you know, you won't shoot three or four under two days in a row. So they're getting after it. I am surprised that the scores are this good. Um, and I do not expect that to continue. Yeah, I, there's no shot this continues the whole weekend. Um, Tiger was one of the most popular bets I saw this week uh, at 45 to one. He ended up now that is just one of those where in this week, that's just a sprinkle if you want to have some fun, but uh, there's, there's honestly no way of knowing my pick coming into the week was John Rahm. So not quite the chalk of DJ that you mentioned, but um, kind of in that next cut of chalk where uh, Rahm has been right up there with DJ playing great golf. You talk about guys being steady and, that's really what Rom has been and is where he's just consistent almost to a fault where it's prevented him uh, at certain big tournaments from making that final push and shooting that extra low number when he needed it to the point that at this course though, that steadiness will help him. And I, I feel like he's due. I mean, the other guy who I looked at and saw he's been steady and maybe his due is Jason day. Uh, but I don't have an, as much confidence in his game as John Rahm's game, especially the form they're in right now. Uh, JT, Rory, they started off well. I'm not letting that influence my pick, but I like Rahm. He's yet to tee off today. I think, again, like you said, like everybody has harped on, it just comes down to steadiness on a course like this. It's going to come down to luck as well. Uh, the conditions are supposed to be good all day, but you know the forecast for the weekend – as you get into it, you know, it's going to depend on whether you're tearing off at 9 a.m. or 12.47 p.m. That might be the difference between shooting three under and shooting three over, uh, depending on how the conditions play out. So, so many variables, so many unknowns. I'll go with Rom. I have absolutely zero confidence in any pick this week. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. Uh, who am I personally rooting for? You'd always love to see Phil get a win at the U.S. Open. And it'd Especially be quite a story. Point especially at Wingfoot. Tiger getting a win, obviously. He is yeah. the needle, as we always talk about. Yeah. Uh, so that would be a fun story. But uh, it's, it's really, really anybody's tournament, and I have absolutely no clue. I'll say John Rahm. I'm not going to win that. Um, and that's, that's pretty much about it, all you could really say about a, a U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Joe, I had the best time this week. So Capital One Arena, where the Wizards and the Caps and the Mystics play, they opened a sports book. They put kiosks in there. So I've been heading down there to play some bets. And I went yesterday on Wednesday just 
hoping to pick the winners of the tournament, maybe a couple golf matchups. And they had all this, all these props like, will this guy make or miss the cut? Will this guy finish in the top 10 or 20? I was in heaven. I'm like, I didn't think I'd spend this much money, but here we are. So that was a lot of fun. But that's what I'm betting more so this week because like you, I bet those three guys that I said, Cantley, Scott, and Rory, but just not a great feel on them. So I really lean towards the top 20s, the top 10s. Will guys miss or make a cut? Head-to-head golf matchups. Will this guy win over this guy? So I just think it's that kind of week. But I can't wait. It's a little tough that the U.S. Open is during football. Obviously, they had to push it back. I got Ravens-Texans at 425 on Sunday. Hey, if you think this is tough, just wait until Masters weekend. uh, Well, at least Bama-LSU won't interfere with that. That's the nice thing. I mean, Ravens-Texans is going to be dap smack in the middle of when they uh, come on Sunday when the leaders are turning on the back nine. So I'll have to get some picture-in-picture working on the old direction. (laughs) That going. But it should be it should be a great week. Obviously, woke up at eight this morning, started watching, and it's been a lot of fun. Joe, so the U.S. Open is the big story going on, but might not be bigger than the Big Twelve coming back to play college football. You Big Ten, Big Twelve back. That's what I meant. Big Ten. I was thinking <laughs> Pac-12 and then Big Ten, so I said Big. Close 12. enough. Big it's, Ten. It's, it's- the word big and a number that doesn't even any more match the amount of teams who are actually in the conference. So it doesn't right. really matter. So the Big Ten's back. You're a Big Ten guy, being that you're a graduate of Maryland. Are you surprised that they are back and they are playing? Uh, yes. I mean, it's, it doesn't really make any sense to me. I mean, it does, but it also doesn't. I know why it was done. It was obviously done 100% for money and and seeing how the Big 12 and ACC and SEC are going, the Big, Tw- the Big 10 didn't want to be left out right. and be looked at as, oh, why'd you guys jump the gun on this decision so early and now it costs you a season? But on the other side of that, they made what was probably the right choice at the beginning. Then they saw how the first couple of weeks played out. And while a lot of places went off without a hitch, UVA, Virginia Tech, that was supposed to be game day this week, got pushed back. LSU announced that more than half their team caught it. Uh, Oklahoma State had a lot. Oklahoma had a lot. Texas Tech had a full outbreak. Memphis had a full outbreak. BYU had a full outbreak. All these places have had full outbreaks. And the Big Ten decided to vote in favor of coming back after seeing that. I mean, if anything, they, after this past week, again, while some of the bigger games have gone on with all these teams that have had issues, I think people were starting to say, huh, you know what? They sacrificed the season for it, but the Big Ten made the right choice. And then they decided to come back. It made no sense timing-wise. Um, I hope they pull it off. I read through their protocols that were made public, and they seem to be just about airtight. I really like the addition of having the cardiac screening because that has been a big fear of a lot of these teams right. uh, with, with players having any heart issues as a result of COVID. So that's something that hasn't – been something I've noticed in any other protocols that I noticed in this one. Uh, but we will get back to that in a second because PJ, I got a surprise for you. I see somebody has entered into our waiting room here in zoom. He's been waiting a couple of weeks uh, to, to get after us uh-uh. for something that happened a few weeks ago when we were talking oh, about no. our top Pixar movies. Uh, what our surprise zoom bombing guests like to introduce himself. I'm not seeing a picture. I'm just seeing the word worm. 
I just like to keep it this way, personally. I don't <laughs> need to see the face or hear him. Don't need to see the face or hear him. Uh, yeah. he, he's there somewhere. Let's see if he can get his technical difficulties under wraps. He's coming in from the beach. I wonder if he had a few brews on the beach and, and it's impairing his technical abilities here. Oh. There he is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's going well. I've been having a lot of Mai Tais, not brewskis. All right, get it right. Okay, okay. Well, our dear friend Ryan Warmly from NBC Sports Washington had a bone to pick with us after our uh, of Pixar Top 5s in the Mike Greenberg episode. Uh, so just to remind you of our Top 5s, PJs from 5 down to 1 went Onward, Toy Story, Coco, Up, Toy Story 3. I went Onward, Ratatouille, Up, Inside Out, and the cop-out of having the Toy Story franchise as my number one. Uh, so the floor is yours. We've got 10 minutes budgeted out for this. Uh, go ahead and, and tear us to shreds, apparently. Okay, well, first of all, when you say I have a bone to pick, that's wrong. I have several bones to pick. <laughs> are oh, terrible. I'm out. The, <laughs> the, the second in that original episode that Joe said, I have kind of a cheat at number one. You'll see what it is. I knew exactly what he was doing, that he was going to throw in the entire Toy Story franchise in there, which is, first of all, garbage. You can't do that. That's like a fifth of all Pixar movies. You can't put that at number one, so I take real issue with that. Second of all, and, and this is perhaps the biggest bone I have to pick, you described so many movies during your, your ranking as incredible, but you didn't mention The Incredibles, which is easily the number one Pixar movie. It is arguably... Wow. It is arguably the best superhero movie ever made. It is definitively the best Fantastic Four movie ever made. It is pure, unadulterated joy. When Dash runs on the water for the first time and looks down and realizes he's fast enough he can run on water, and he does that little <laughs> laugh, that is cinematic perfection. It is gold. It is the best part of his best moment in any Pixar movie ever. It's incredible. Again, you kept using that word to describe other movies, and you forgot the, the movie that was literally named for how incredible it was. I was really worried when I was listening to your list the first time, and I didn't hear this movie for a while, but you did eventually get to it in its proper place, at least one of you did, and that's Inside Out, which I think is one of not only the best Pixar movies, it's just a good time, it's a lot of fun, it's very funny like all Pixar movies are, but I think it's a really important Pixar movie. Outside of maybe Coco and you know a couple others here or there, I think it might be the most important Pixar movie because it teaches kids that it's okay to be sad and to feel all of your emotions. And, you know, when you lose your imaginary friend, that is really sad, and you can move forward from that, and there's all these core memories. It's a really important story about the way the human brain works and how you process things through emotion and how okay it is to not always be okay when you're a kid. And that is a message that very rarely do you see any kids' animated movies give you, and I was really blown away by that. So I can get to my other three here once you guys react to that, but to me, there's a Tier 1 of Pixar movies, and it's Incredibles 1 and Inside Out, and then you're looking at the rest of your list. So maybe my issue with The Incredibles, and we talked about this uh, after the list. I said, I'll go back and watch them and see if I need to reassess. They're great movies. Let's, let's remember that we're grading on a curve here when it comes to Pixar movies. That outside of Brave, uh, and some people will say The Good Dinosaur, even though I personally really enjoy The Good Dinosaur, that everything else, it's really splitting hairs. And it really is splitting it. Oh, Cars 3. Cars, Cars 2 and 3. I forgot. Yeah. I, knew I, was, I knew I was forgetting something. Cars 2 and Cars yeah. 3 were also, were also flaming garbage. Cars 2 a lot worse than Cars 3. A little bit of redemption with Cars 3. But they're all great. Let's remember that they're all great. 
for the for me with the Incredibles, I just I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was missing some of the the heartwarming that you see in some other Pixar movies. I don't know if it was missing kind of the general themes of Pixar movies where just about across the board, uh, Pixar movies are taking uh, some sort of inanimate object or uh, a unique object and giving them life like Toy Story, like Ratatouille, Mm -hmm. where it was just kind of like a human movie. Granted, it was about superheroes, but in a time where, uh, you know, Maybe, maybe at the beginning when it first came out, it was better. But ever since then, when Marvel has had its boom and all these tremendous superhero movies have come out, where I kind of felt looking back, The Incredibles got left in the dust. So I, I don't know. Just for me, it, it's, it's in that next cut after the top five that I gave. Uh, but it's, it's still a great movie. I just don't see it at number one. Well, let me just say, because you mentioned the Marvel movies, I think obviously the original X-Men movies and the original Spider-Man movies in the early 2000s get a ton of credit for sort of setting the standard for superhero movies going forward and showing that comic book movies could be successful. The Incredibles is not based on any existing comic book, but I think it really did help set the template. It, It showed the fun you can have with the superhero movie, and I think that the Marvel movies owe a lot to that movie. I mean, Incredibles came out in 2004. Iron Man is 2008. Like, I, I think that there's definitely a lot of overlap there. It well, definitely is. Uh, Incredibles is good, okay, but it just it doesn't, doesn't do it for me. I'd probably have it at seven, personally. If we wanted to go beyond our top five, I have Coco right on the edge at six, and if you remember in that episode, that's the one that I said – after a few more watches, we'll probably get into the top five, supplanting yeah. either Onward uh, or Ratatouille. But Incredibles is, is a solid seven for me. It's I right think, top. too, when you're grading Pixar, you have to look at the creativity of the movie. Sure. Okay? Yes, and that's a big thing for me with Incredibles. Exactly. And Incredibles, it's a nice story. But, again, there's been facets of it that have been done. So when I look at movies like Inside Out or Up or Onward or Toy Story, they're just – they're so brilliant and inventive. And when you think of Pixar, you think of movies like that. And that's will, why those were over that for me. I will admit, I know Onward is number five on both of your lists. I have not seen Onward. It's one of the newer releases. I just haven't gotten around uh, to it. Some this- friend, <laughs> some friend <laughs> you are. I said that I would watch The Incredibles back if you watched Onward. And I held up my end of the yeah, bar. watch Onward. I haven't watched Onward. I will still watch it. I just didn't know that I was going to be crashing your Zoom today. <laughs> I, I wasn't prepared, obviously. Um, you, you mentioned Coco. That is one I will admit. It's not on my top five, but it is right there in the honorable mentions. And I've only seen it once. If I see it more, I could see myself moving that in eventually. It's obviously a brilliant movie. Um, I'll run through the other three of my top five here. Toy Story 3, which I think is the best Toy Story. I that have a little box. I graduated high school in 2010. Toy Story 3 came out in 2010. So I was just hit in the exact right moment of this is my life that I'm experiencing going off to college. I really was one of those kids of the generation that grew up with Toy Story. So obviously brilliant movies, brilliantly creative movies, and really poignant as well. And then I have at number four, WALL-E, which I think is severely underrated amongst Pixar movies. I know some people think that it's kind of boring. I, th- I think PJ might have said yeah. that. Oh, that's <laughs> it. it doesn't do it for me. It is, it is a masterclass in visual storytelling, in show, don't tell. And it also has a pretty poignant message about, you know, the f- fate of the hu- human race and, and letting relying too much on robots and all that stuff. And But you don't even need to get into that to appreciate it. It's a romantic story with with Wally and Eva. And it's just a really, it's brilliantly animated like all Pixar movies are. And, and I was really impressed. 
And then number five, you guys are really going to hate me for this one, Incredibles 2. Oh, God. <laughs> and here's my take on Incredibles 2. And I had this exact same take about Indiana Jones 3 and Horrible Bosses 2. How are those movies all related, you ask? Because they are sequels that people don't like as much as the original. But I maintain if they had come out in reverse order, and obviously you get into a little like origin story stuff here, but if the second stories had come out first, I think people would like it better. Sequels are by nature not as original as the original movies that come out, but I think that the storyline of Incredibles 2 is just as good. I think the action is just as good, the animation, the family dynamics. I think it's all brilliant. And I really want to own in on that action aspect because I think people look at animated movies that have action involved and think, well, you don't need to rely on stuntmen. You can just draw whatever you want to happen. It's way easier to do action. I actually disagree wholeheartedly. I think it's a lot harder to do action and to really choreograph an interesting, creative, realistic fight scene. When you have the ability to do you know, animated, you can have people do whatever they want. But when you constrict yourself to the rules of the universe and still come up with really engaging fight scenes that show characters with different superpowers, using their superpowers the way they normally would. You see all these Marvel movies, it usually just comes down to a bunch of people throwing punches at each other. And I'm like, you have all these different superpowers. Why, why are you just throwing punches? <laughs> Incredibles doesn't do that. One or two. They show, you know, Violet using the shield and the weird, you know, creative times and Dash using the speed in the right ways. And, and they introduce all the new superheroes in Incredibles too. So I think they did a really good job with that. And, and, I think it's a, a travesty that more people don't give it credit just because it's a sequel. I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'll just run through my honorable mentions real quick. Coco, like I said, could easily get there one day. Toy Story 1 obviously set the template for everything to come. Monsters, Inc., just a really fun movie. I just enjoy watching whenever it's on. Finding Nemo, I never loved as much as everybody else, but still obviously a really good movie. Um, Ratatouille, a ton of fun. It's just Ratatouille is one that like would be a top five if Pixar wasn't the elite of the elite movie studios. Yes. It's a it's a totally top five worthy. There's just too many greatness, great ones there. And then Up, which I think it has become, people like to talk about Up like, oh, it's a really great first 10 minutes and then the rest of the movie is just fine. I don't think that's true. I think it's a really good movie that is bolstered by an emotional, really strong first 10 minutes. But I think because that has been the conversation about Up, it's almost become so overrated that it's underrated. It didn't make my top five, but it's right there on the edge like those other ones where I just mentioned. Yeah, Monsters, Inc. is right there for me. Uh, I think that like, I gave you my six, seven. Monsters, Inc. is eight. Like I, I did the whole top yeah. ten that day with PJ. We only released our top five. Uh, but it, it's just a testament to the greatness of the studio. And like I said, Coco probably jumps up. Uh, once I watch it a few more times, past Ratatouille and onward. Uh, Luca is on the horizon, and it's about mm -hmm. a young Italian boy. And, I mean, that is just right up my alley. So when that one comes out in 2021, I'm coming into that one with very high hopes. And then Soul comes out in November. I thought that was about a 20-year-old basketball player. Was it? I, thought, I said I thought Luca was about a 20-year-old basketball player. No, no, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's a different thing that happened in Orlando uh, at, near yeah. the Disney Studios that took the world by storm uh, uh, very recently. But I did, I did say uh, uh, to my girlfriend that, you know, uh, down the road, if Luka Doncic really becomes that guy and Luka, the Pixar movie, becomes that movie and gets into that upper tier, that, uh, that Luka might have to be in the back of the mind as a baby name. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm sure she appreciated that. She did. Plus, you can do a Space Jam kind of thing. You converse Luca with Luca, the basketball yeah. player. If you, if you really want to get into some, some hot movie takes, I think Space Jam is a terrible movie. It is unwatchable if you're over the age of 10. It does not hold up in the slightest. The best part about Space Jam <laughs> is the fact that they haven't changed the website since 1996. That's it's, the only good part of the movie. That is one wow. of those movies where if you grew up on it, you love it. If you didn't, you hate it. The Goonies is another one of those. I grew up on it. I love it. I tried showing it to my girlfriend two years ago at the age of 20. She hated it. So you either grow up with it or you don't. Those are the movies. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. They're just personal to you. You, It's nostalgic. You grew up with it. You're not going to hear any argument against it. You see the trend going around Twitter now. It's four movies that you like more than anybody you know. I'm going to hop on that train later today, and The Goonies is going to be one of my four for that. But uh, but Worm, this was a pleasure. (laughs) we, We said it last week when we had... Pete Haley on. It's always a pleasure seeing anybody we saw in the hallways all the time on NBC Sports Washington. I know you've turned me on to uh, some movie YouTubes that I've been going through and enjoying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you sent me down a few rabbit holes. And as we get through more episodes, and we probably have some more uh, movie top fives to, to throw in with our sports talk, we'll be sure to have you back. Cannot wait. I love the idea of being the movie correspondent here. (laughs) And I I always appreciate the warm welcome. There, God. there you go. On that right. note, I'm kicking you from the Zoom. I'm not don't, even don't tweet during Raven your, games, okay? Not even Goodbye. giving you a chance to leave <laughs> on your own terms. <laughs> See you guys. See you. <laughs> I didn't even give him a chance to leave on his own terms. Oh, that was it, man. just for that term, uh, that worm. that pun. Uh, oh my. Joe, I always joke with Worm. So I gave him so much crap for last year in the playoffs when the Ravens were either going to get the Bills, the Texans, or the Titans, and he tweets out, he's like. I can't imagine a more like fear, like more less respected group of three teams than those three pop or something <laughs> like that. And I'm just like, Worm, are, are you serious right now? Oh my god! And then, uh, and then, you know, on New Year's uh, Eve, he tweets out something like, "Wow, 2020, the year the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl." And I'm like, it's stuff like that. And hey, just, you know, maybe he meant the 2020 season, which is now. For the 2021 Super Bowl? I you know, don't know. But he just, so, you know, with the Browns, they get off to an unbelievable start. They fake that punt. He tweets out, oh, the Browns look scared. The Ravens get held to a field goal. The Browns come down, score a touchdown. I'm like, Worm, you need yeah. to stop. The Ravens go on. They score 26 unanswered points, win by 30. It was so. all right in the end. There we right. go. Let's so, get this back on the yes. rails. Where were we before Worm crashed for some movies? We were on the Big Ten coming back, and I was saying that, I thought it was surprising in light of all the schools that have had outbreaks. Um, but it's what they're doing. Like, I, like oh, that, that's exactly where I was as far as yeah. the protocols. The protocols are there. Um, Michigan's president is an epidemiologist, and he was one of the first to be outright against playing. My only hope is that with Michigan leading the way, and a lot of credit was given to the Ohio State doctors for being a really good staff as well. I really, really hope this was a medical decision from an epidemiologist, from some great doctor staffs in the Big Ten, and not a John Harbaugh, Ryan Day, athletic directors really panning down the door because they want football. Um, because more so than the other conferences who announced they were playing from the start, the Big Ten is in a horrible position right now. Because mm-hmm. if, if games get canceled, if there are outbreaks. 
God forbid, if a player has complications or passes away, they will, they will struggle to survive as a conference. I really think that, I mean, the, the, the negative PR and the heads that will roll mm-hmm. for reversing the decision that was voted upon to not play that there is a firestorm that will come after that. So they have to be damn certain that's that the thing is they're taking That's bigger it. risks by saying mm-hmm. that they weren't going to have one. And then now they're saying Absolutely. they're going to have one. If you would have had the season and then you would have shut it down. That's one thing. But once you say you're shutting it down, remember when they shut it down, they posted the big 10 schedule like four days before and everybody's like, yep. Oh, they're going to play. And then there was enough evidence that they thought to not have the season. And it's not and- like anything has changed. Not much. Nothing has changed. So, so they they are really they're really taking a risk. And, and while not to get into the you know away from the sports aspect of it and into the real life aspect of it, but the case numbers have come down. The positivity rates have come down overall as a country. I was reading a New York Times piece yesterday or Washington Post. I hope I credit the right one. It was one of the two. I'll give credit to both. Uh, don't come after me. I'm sorry, uh, but the the numbers were shown that while the trend over the course of the country has come down, the trends have spiked again in the Midwest. And aside from Maryland and Rutgers, all the big 10 is in the Midwest. So while it's coming down as a nation, it's spiking in those States. So the info, if anything, paints a more negative picture for the big 10 where they would have been justified in saying they're playing from the start and are less justified in saying it now. So it's, it's a mess that I hope we don't have to get into. I hope it goes off without a hitch. And again, it's that weird position for us where, yes, we're happy to see it, but we could also acknowledge that it's maybe not the right decision um, and only and, time will tell. And now, you know, you see reports that the Pac-12 are like, hey, don't forget about us. Maybe Everybody did forget that. about them. And, and now, now they want a piece of the pie too. So it's a real interesting situation to monitor with the Big Ten. We'll see what happens. Um, NBA, Joe, and maybe the biggest stunner definitely of the NBA playoffs. It was the New York Times. Sorry, let me get that right. It was the New York Times. I looked it up. Okay. The Denver Nuggets, though, to come back from 3-1 twice, but to do it against the Clippers, that game seven, and I was talking to people about this, the most amazing thing about that fourth quarter, Joe, it was amazing that the Nuggets, that the Clippers, it took them seven minutes to make a field goal. It was incredible how just tireless and gutless they looked when they knew that they were going to lose. But the most amazing thing is whenever you have an underdog in basketball playing a favorite, whether it's the NBA, whether it's March Madness, whatever it is, the favorite always makes that run when they're losing. They always, there's a little sprint, whether it's an 8-2 run, a 10-2 run, a 6 there's something that you're like, oh, is this the moment where they... There was none of that. Not once. At any point in that fourth quarter, did the Clippers even threaten the Nuggets. And to me, that was the most amazing part, is you have this team with Kawhi and Paul George and Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, and they didn't even give the Nuggets a scare. Jokic and Murray are the real deal. Mike Malone's a good coach. Man, to, to, win, a, to win two series being down. Incredible. First team ever to do it twice in the same postseason. Man, and again, this is what's so great about the bubble because if this was the regular playoffs and they had to win two games in the Staples Center, I don't know if that happens. If they had to win two games in Utah, I don't know. Well, they were the favorites, so if they won one game in Utah, I don't know if they would have done it. But 
That's the beauty of the bubble is these games are neutral site. If you don't bring it yeah. every game, you could lose and, three and in a row. Why, this is why, you know, for all the people who have said, I'd be put an asterisk next to this title or to the Stanley Cup. Um, now, baseball, you can. And it's something that we'll talk about as we do, do our playoff, uh, playoff preview and talk about MLB in a moment. Or Sorry, not the, not the playoff preview. We're not there yet. It's the playoff race uh, uh, preview. Baseball's different. Baseball went gimmicky. They went with best of three series, picking your opponents. So uh, there's certainly going to be an asterisk next to any World Series so they could join the Astros with an asterisk next to their title. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. The NBA and the NHL absolutely should not have one because this title in many aspects is much harder to win than a normal one because you don't have any of the variables that could go in the favor of one team or the other where uh, you've got your home crowd, you're making the other team travel to you, you know, things like that. Those things are gone. It's just our skill level against your skill level, neutral site, no fans, who's the better team, period. And like you mentioned, if, if they were going to have to win two games at the Staples Center, perhaps the Nuggets are the better team than the Clippers, but we might have never found out because – with the travel, with going into that hostile environment, it would have affected them. But being that it was neutral site and no fans and just best on best, the Nuggets were able to show that they were the deeper team in the end and the better team in the end, and they executed better. And in those aspects, like you said, you can't have a night off. You can see teams come back more. That's the beauty of the bubble, and it's why – at the end of the day, this is going to be looked at as one of the hardest titles to win. Like Giannis was saying before the playoff even started, and people were like, what are you talking about? And then they were like, a day later, they were like, you know what, maybe he has a point as he started to think about it more. This is the hardest title probably to win because it is simply our best, your best, who's better. And that's it. There's no variables. Right, and I think a lot of people think that the Lakers are going to beat the Nuggets in four or five games, and my rebuttal to that would be, didn't most people think the Clippers were better than the we Lakers? Did. Right. Go back to our episode preview in the, sure. conference, uh, the, the conference semis. We both said Clippers in five. I said that most of the Clippers' wins are going to probably be between 20 and 25 points. After game one, they won by 23. I was like, that split the difference between what I said. I was like, I'm looking great right now. They right. won the first game by just about the exact point total I said they would win it by. Uh, they go up three to one, one game away from that, you know, gentleman sweep that we talked about. And, and then they blow it. It's right. And look, we were... I, and basketball is all about matchups. And obviously, the Clippers don't have anybody like Anthony Davis. But you know, Jokic matches up with them well because they're two bigs that can spread out the floor. They can handle it. They can shoot. So it's a good matchup. And obviously, you can't cover LeBron. You can hope to contain him. But did they not contain Kawhi and Paul George? Yeah. So look, I'll say, I'll say, Lakers in six just to show the Nuggets a little bit more respect than saying their opponent in five, like I said for the last series, I'll give them six just to show that respect. Uh, but I really don't think they have much of a chance, honestly. And I, and I hate to keep doubting them. Look, but I'm with just, you. But it, it's, it's yeah. the la- I, everything is aligning for the Lakers right now. We've talked about this for a while. Yeah. The stars have aligned uh, with everything with Kobe. Uh, so they, they highlighted that. Uh, the last time Kobe won a ring in 09, uh, no, I'm sorry, not the last time he won. When he got his fourth ring in 09, they beat the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. They beat Orlando 
in Orlando for the clincher to get his fifth ring, his fourth ring. Uh, Nuggets in Orlando, fourth ring. LeBron has to go through the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. And to get his fourth ring, it's going to happen in Orlando. So mm. there's so many things where the stars are aligning, and I'm not picking against the Lakers. Yeah. I go with the Lakers in six. But The other, the other series, Miami-Boston, six or seven coin flip. I, I really seven. do not know who's going to win seven. that series. I say seven. I go with the Celtics. Like I, we said uh, last episode before game seven of Raptors-Celtics, I said if the Raptors win, I go Heat. If the Celtics win, I go Celtics. Uh, the Celtics were the better team for much of game one. The Heat closed it out very well as they have all postseason long playing well down the stretch. Bam out of bio. Probably, probably one of the best blocks in postseason history. I know the LeBron chase down is yeah. more historically significant, but we see LeBron do that five or six times a season. Right. What Bam did was incredible. Tatum can was bent backwards. Yeah, he came in untouched, unharmed, down the lane, cocked that thing back, yeah. and was ready to dunk Adebayo into next season. And what was going to be a poster for Tatum turned into an Adebayo poster for the big block. Um, incredible play. Unbelievable. I do think the Celtics just – there's just too much to handle. Uh, I, you look at how close that game was, and it was an off night for Kemba Walker. Uh, they Once they have a night where everybody clicks, you, you really can't beat them. and. I think they'll come away in seven with the win. And could you write a better story than another historic Lakers-Celtics final to cap off the bubble? See, that's the thing. I mean, you talk about the stars aligning. The only thing that's missing is Lakers-Celtics. So that's it. you would have to think that if this movie script stays on track, then that's, that's the matchup we're going to get. Absolutely. I didn't even think of that until you said it, but it's, it makes a lot of sense. NHL, Joe, the Stars have already clinched their berth into the Stanley Cup. We talked about the problems that Vegas had scoring against Vancouver. It continued against Dallas, and Dallas just got timely goals. They found ways to win game, and that's all it takes in the playoffs. We're still waiting to get a winner from the Lightning Islanders side. The Islanders won the double OT game five to stay alive. You got to feel like the Lightning are going to give them their best because a game seven in hockey is – you just you, it's one game yeah, no. if you're not on that night it could be over they know they gotta get it done tonight and I think you're feeling the same way that Tampa just they're the better team and I think they get it done tonight and we're gonna have a Dallas Tampa final I agree uh, I, I don't think there's really much to it um, the Lightning have proved to be the better team time and time again against everybody they've got up against the Islanders credit to them resilient bunch they were able to make it happen in double overtime a game that they probably should have lost on multiple occasions down the stretch. Kucherov had a good opportunity. I have pretty good confidence in saying the Lightning win it tonight. If not, they'll still probably take it in seven. When their backs are against the wall, they just totally flex their muscles. Now, granted, last time we had an episode, I said the same thing about the Nuggets and the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, but I feel the same confidence this time around with the Lightning, and I hope this time I'm right. And uh, – if, if, if things change, you know, next episode will be, will be our full, like, Stanley Cup preview. I guess we'll be a couple games into the final, so we really got to try to preview it now as much as we can at least. But I think it's going to be Stars Lightning. Uh, we thought Vegas and Tampa were on that collision course. Vegas didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Nope. This Stars team has kind of been, you know, the NHL Nuggets, 
if you will, where they just continue to not uh, say die. They won't bow out. They have had their issues. They have a negative goal differential, uh, and they're still in the final. It showed, like you said, how timely their scoring has been. When they play with a lead, they're so tough to beat. They clog the neutral zone so well. Their issue is going to be penalties against Lightning. They lead the postseason in minor penalties taken. They've been very undisciplined. Corey Perry has been the most undisciplined, taking a lot of stupid slashing penalties, cross-checking penalties, roughing penalties that are unnecessary after the play. They get away with that against these other teams. Anton Hadobin has been fantastic in goal, but the Lightning are a different animal. You can't give them those power play opportunities and not expect to be hurt by it. Uh, so credit to the Stars for making this run. Not quite the Blues run from last year, but close to it. A team that didn't really yeah, start off well. They started one in seven. Yeah, they didn't start off well. And they were in a better position in January than the, than the Blues were last right. year, the last right. place in the league. And they went on, I think it was a 14-game winning streak, the Stars. So they, they came around, made an incredible run, and they're there. You can't take that away from them. But they go up against the Lightning. It's a very tall order. I go with the Lightning against the Islanders in game six. Even if it's not game six, they'll get it in game seven. And I go with the Lightning in six over the Stars. Very pesky bunch. They're not going to get closed out easily by the Lightning. It's not going to be a four or five game series by any stretch. I think the Islanders series really prepares the Lightning well, though, for a Stars series because they play similarly in that they're just a scrappy, resilient bunch who gets the job done. Um, So the Lightning are prepared. The Lightning will get their cup that they've been waiting a while for. Uh, in this, not a while. I mean, they have one since the turn of the millennium uh, with the St. Louis, Le Cavalier teams coached by John Tortorella. But it's been, you know, these last six, seven years, they've been right there and, and have come up just short. They finally, finally get over the hump, I think. I'm with you. Um, yeah, the Stars, last time they made it was 2000, right? So yep. it, has, it has been a while. Um, yeah, we haven't talked about MLB in a while. So we'll get into that a little bit. As teams are, I mean, they got like 10, 11 games left. So the MLB is coming down to the end. Obviously, October is approaching, which means baseball is nearing. And with football starting, with the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs going on, Joe, people might not realize what the playoff picture in baseball is looking like. But the Chicago White Sox are the number one team in the American League right now. They are just red hot. We've talked about the White Sox and the Padres, how they were kind of the two sleeper teams in their respective leagues because of the potential, the young talent. And, boy, has that young talent lived up to it. The Padres obviously got just about everybody at the trade deadline to help them out. The White Sox pitching has been pretty good, but their lineup is just filthy. Um, You want to talk Moneyball, Joe? How about the White Sox, Rays, and Athletics are the top three teams for you? In the American League, the beauty of baseball right there. Money can get you the Garrett Coles of the world. It can get you the Mookie Betts of the world. But you still got to go out and play the game. Credit to those three teams. Their rosters, the management, the coaching. They're playing great right now. Tampa was bad to start the year. Then they got hot. They dipped a little bit again. But now they are on a roll. The Yankees have finally started to, they're getting healthy a little bit again after getting a scare. I mean, the Orioles are right on their teeth and then they brought it back up. So the teams that we kind of expected to be in the playoffs are really all right there in the American League. National League, a little bit of a different story. The Nationals have been hurt by injuries. 
Um, the Mets, you know, I don't need to tell you about yeah. pitching. And we how got Stephen Cohen. That's all that matters. <laughs> that's all that you care about. <laughs> I guess the real surprise are the Giants and the Marlins. I mean, the Marlins right now, they have the second spot in the NL East. The top two from every division makes it. So they're only two and a half game back of the Braves of leading the East, but they're right there in the playoffs right now. And the Giants, I mean, what hurts them is the fact that they got the Padres and the Dodgers in front of them. So they're not going to get one of the two division spots, but they're still right there in the mix to get a wild card spot and potentially make it to the playoffs. They just announced they're going to have the bubbles now. They're going to have the World Series in Texas. They're going to have the playoffs out in the West Coast. What did you think of that, of having even the American League teams having to go out West and play in the bubble? Yeah, I was a little surprised to to see that they're having basically everybody go west, but I guess it's a weather thing. And and I know another place that was kind of floated around was uh, the Marlins Park, but it's in Miami. And I know from being down here, like you don't want people coming to Florida right now. Are you right, kidding right. me? Like get them out of here. So uh, I, I do like that they're picking the Rangers ballpark uh, to kind of showcase that. Great for TV. It's yeah, ballpark. I like that there might be limited fans that might give some sort of environment. I really think it's been, it's been trending this way they, that they've talked about going to a bubble for the postseason to make sure that they don't go 60 games. And then, you know, after all they've had to go through to get the season in, lose it in the postseason. You had to go to a bubble. It's, it's the right idea, but I'm going to be honest. I don't really care. I, I really don't like, uh, you know, we had worm on to talk uh, some, some movie rants, but he was talking about it on Twitter the other day. I was talking about it with him. Baseball's the one sport where, as much as you know, earlier in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about some minor playoff expansion. Uh, you can't do too much to it because it's the only sport where the regular season matters so so much because it's 162 games. It's such a long slog. If you want players invested and if you want fans invested, there has to be some sort of uh, smaller cutoff, and the, the regular season's got to mean more. Right. If you go to, you know, this season's different with 60 games, but now that Rob Bamford has talked about keeping this playoff format beyond this year when it goes back to 162 games, it's going to lose a lot of people. Uh, Manford has been horrible for the sport, for the league. Mm. Uh, I, I feel very comfortable in saying that because he has been. Yeah. And he's by far the worst commissioner in sports. And I don't know what's going to happen going forward. And there's the labor dispute that's going to be on the horizon. Well, hopefully we'll at some later date have Tim Kirchin back on maybe talk about it more but uh, aside from that looking at this postseason alone uh, like I said I don't really I don't really care I really don't it's it's such we knew it was going to be a weird year we said that you know what if the if the cream kind of still rises to the top and we get you know uh, a Dodgers Yankees World Series that we might have gotten anyway different story but as you look around the season has been more finicky than even we imagined it would be uh, the Marlins that you mentioned are there for a playoff spot. They were essentially a minor league team that became even more of a minor league team after they lost a lot of people due to COVID early in the year. They've gotten those guys back since then, but they're 25 and 22. Uh, remember last year, the Mariners started at a similar record to what the Marlins are now, yeah. and then went on to have a historically bad season. Right. So you know that in a 162 game season, the currently 25 and 22 Marlins might finish 73 wins most but they're gonna make the playoffs and it's gonna be a three-game series so when they go up against say the cubs or something they just gotta win two games and and now you're in the baseball that's nothing and then then beyond that there's no days off 
between ALDS or NLCS games. They're playing them all in a row. Yep. They have a big impact. So as if picking your opponent three game series wasn't already enough, now there's no days off in between those games. So the higher seeded teams who might limp to a higher seed in this in this shortened season, where you look you look at as great as the Dodgers are, they're barely going to squeak by the Padres for that first seed. Uh, after dealing with a three game series, then they're going to have to compete with having no days off and you know, you, you wonder how vocal the league was with teams about this because Aaron Boone straight up came out and said, we had no idea that there were going to be no days off. And, and it was in a question that was posed uh, as far as do the Yankees regret not getting pitching at the deadline because their pitching is already light. And now yeah, uh, with, Paxton with no just got off, hurt. Paxton just got hurt. And with no days off between games, they can't run out a bullpen day that they were relying on like they did last postseason because – there's no days off. Yeah. So uh, how, how would that have impacted teams' deadline strategies? You just sprung this on them now that there's no days off between games? Yeah, no communication. Again, the MLB has handled this about as poorly as any league possibly could. My interest level was already low because of how poorly they handled it. Am I still going to watch just about every postseason game? You bet your ass I'm going to. Uh, but as far as an asterisk next to, to winners, it's not for the NBA – it's not for the NHL. There will, unfortunately, be for the MLB. And you, you kind of hate to see it because if a team like the Dodgers break their drought or a team like the Padres come out and win one, it sucks that forever they're going to have questions raised about the World Series they finally won after some time. Uh, but that's how it's going to be. And, uh, you know, bubble or no bubble, whatever the case is, there's already a dark cloud over this postseason because of how – how misshapen it's going to look, and I don't know. I'm really curious to see if, if we have that luxury to have Tim Kirchner on again. Um, he mentioned that a 60-game season would already kind of be a gray area as far as a true champion, and then all these things that have just compounded that mistake. Three-game series, pick your opponent, no days off. I don't know. And then, you know, if you remember, we gave our whole baseball preview, and then the day of the Yankees-Nats opening game is when they decide they want to expand the playoffs. So, the day like the season said, started, exactly. Day started. All this time, all this time, all the Right. It's not like COVID happened the day before. You kind of knew what you were getting. They had five months to figure things out. They waited until the last minute. I mean, they're really the example for, you know, all those years where your teachers in high school, your professors in college said, don't wait till the last minute to do something. Um this procrastination is at its finest. It almost, at its finest. It, it almost makes you wonder if Rob Manfred honestly thought if he ever wanted to play. Because yeah. from the negotiation standpoint, all those offers they gave the players were crap. Everybody knew it. Of course. And like you said, they've kind of just been playing catch-up. It seems like there have been no plan in place. They've been talking about having a playoff bubble during the season. You would think – And finally spring it on them now and add in no days off. Like it's – it's just so, a, so I, you know, I mean, I really kind of just thought about that until now, but you just wonder if Manfred had any interest. If he's like, you know, with the pandemic, we didn't start the season on time. Why bother? And with the stuff he's doing, I mean, who knows? But I'm with you. He's not a good commissioner. The way he handled the Astros situation, we could go on about that. The way he's handled this season now, it, I, it's just, it's not good. And, you know, he's lucky that playoff baseball is such a good product. It does hurt that there won't be days off. It looks like the teams that we thought would be 
most of the best teams in baseball are going to get in, though, thankfully. But, again, like, I don't like teams picking their opponent. You know what a motivational yeah. factor that'll be yeah. for, like, the Marlins? If totally the agree. Padres are like, oh, yeah, we want that team, Marlins got played. So we'll see what happens. Joe, it is time to talk the NFL. And before we get into our best bets segment, which you need a little work on if we had in a week too. <laughs> I need a little work Yeah, on. you, you, you lost, need a little work No, on. no, no. You lost two games. You were not good this week. Okay. Anyways, before we get into that, week one of the NFL season, how good was it to have it back? You know, it was great. And it honestly wasn't as weird as I thought it was going to be with no fans because uh, right? you, you think about it. The way the camera angle is, you don't really see the crowd anyway on a given normal play. It's the perfect – golf and football are the perfect TV sports. They really it's, are. It's, it was weird. Uh, I'll give you – it was weird when there were some late-game situations that would have had major ovations and, and there was no sound. But most of the games, or the majority of the game, it was fine. It really was. And, and uh, credit to NFL Films, they had a massive undertaking of, of compiling – uh, soundboards for networks and stadiums to use based on specific situations from previous seasons, like a third and seven stop, uh, an interception late in the game. They went back and got sound from home stadium from those specific situations mm-hmm. to be played on broadcasts. Yeah. And they really worked it out. There were some times in the uh, Dolphins Patriots game where Nance and Romo got drowned out a little bit, where they may, may be a little bit too far in amping it up, but the viewing experience was fine. Uh, the Chiefs last Thursday night, for only having 17,000 fans, it sounded like they had 117,000. Yeah, Al Michaels kept and, referring to that. How and he, that. he kept referring to it, and he kept – you hope he's being honest, but they kept saying that they weren't pumping it up, that it was just a natural ambient noise. Um, I know from being at Maryland, where we're lucky to fill half the stadium, though, that if something big happens, you, you still do get a big roar from the crowd, and – I don't know the science behind it, but you get kind of some sort of echo that amplifies the noise off of the empty seats from the fans that are there. So you still do get very, very uh, loud fan noise. So credit to, to them yeah. for pulling that off in Kansas City. I know some teams are opening it up to fans now as we go along a couple of weeks in. Cowboys, when they're home, about 25,000 fans. So uh, not as weird as I thought it was going to be. And the action was great. It really the quality was. Quality of play was my thing. Chiefs, Ravens, Seahawks, Saints – all teams we thought would be great. I mean, didn't they look midseason form to you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, they were excellent. So to me, I thought the quality of play for week one, not having a preseason, was, was pretty damn good. And it shows you the commitment the players made in the offseason. And credit to a lot of these coaches, man, for working with what they had, because obviously nobody's been through this. And they all had to deal with it, but the product on the field week one was excellent, and you hope it continues. Adam Schefter reported this morning that the Chiefs-Texans game, nobody reported has had COVID coming out of that game, which is great. We obviously hope that is a trend through all the week one games. Um, but, Joe, as we dial into this, what team would you give your best performance in week one, and which team would you give your worst performance? So the best performance, I feel like the Ravens are the easy choice here. They played a great game. Uh, I was very pleased with what I saw from the Seahawks. Um, a lot of other teams like had good games, but you could see that they weren't totally in sync yet. Like the Saints were good. They weren't totally in sync yet. They right. lost Michael Thomas for a little bit now. That's going to hurt them. The Chiefs, as great as they were and dominant as they were, they were out of sync sometimes. Mahomes with his receivers. 
but still managed to put up over sure. 30 points. So uh, there's, there's some teams were like a little bit here or there needed to change. And even the Ravens for as well as they played had a few miscues, but uh, the Ravens, you can't say anything really bad about the way they played the Seahawks, the chiefs, the usual suspects, like you said, I was very pleased actually though, with the Steelers on Monday night, I think they had some doubts about them. What, what would you see at a big Ben? And they started very slow. Uh, so not really a complete performance, but in the second half, they started to really click Benny Snell. I was uh, just oh, there was a lot of talk that. about Benny Snell doing what Le'Veon Bell did. He was a bigger back in college between year one and year two after not using him much year one, the Steelers had him drop like 20 pounds. Right. Very quick. Looked almost like Le'Veon Bell. And uh, if they somehow duplicated Le'Veon Bell and Benny Snell, um, <laughs> that's going to be tremendous right. to watch. The James defense was better. as advertised. Defense, exactly, as advertised. So the Steelers, yeah. uh, we talked about them as a little bit of a dark horse that could give the Ravens a threat. Don't think they will give them quite a threat. Uh, but they'll be a wild card team for sure. And, and as long as Big Ben stays healthy, the Cardinals, another team that looked really good, pulling off the upset against the 49ers, that offense is going to be fun. Their defense was better than advertised. Um, so it's so a lot of bright spots. The Jets were the worst team of the week. Yeah, you know I was going to come at you with that. Um, as we get into our picks, like I they told you. They almost got me that you. backdoor cover, too. They, they, didn't almost, they didn't almost get you a backdoor well, cover. It they, was, were down by, they were down by 17, and they scored to make it a 10-point game with 54 seconds left. If they would have pulled off a backdoor cover of 6.5, down 17 with a minute to play, that would have been something. But it was 24 to 10, like midway through the third quarter. Yeah. So if they would have kicked a field goal and then got me a touchdown. They did a lot of things to have happened, but they didn't. Uh, and that was, again, like I said last week, one of those where I don't care what the, where the money's coming in with no line moving this or that. At the end of the day, some games you just look at and say, I don't care what the betters are doing. From a football standpoint, they suck. They're good. Picking the team that's good when a touchdown victory is good because it was a six-and-a-half-point spread. And that was it. Uh, and that score was way closer than the game actually was. So uh, the Jets were one of the worst performers of the week. The Browns were a dumpster fire last week. Uh, we'll see how they turn around on Thursday night now. But, um, but yeah, overall, really enjoyed week one. But now we get into our picks for the week. And, PJ, you mentioned me having two losses. I went three and two out of our five. I was just giving you, you were, a hard time. You were 0-5. I was. Well, see, you can take this two ways, okay? You can say I was awful or – you could have faded me and had a 5-0 and week. True. So, That's true. you know, I mean, you, you gave you, you people did get some. You did get some bad luck. I'll give you that with Cuse, North Carolina. Oh, my God. That it was 7-6 midway through the third quarter. 7-6 midway through the Disgusting. third. Disgusting. The and Broncos, Steven Goskowski was doing was the, everything. The, the Cuse game, to make matters worse for you, uh, the Cuse game ended up losing by 25. It was a four-point game in the fourth quarter. And North Carolina scored three touchdowns in six minutes to win that game by 25. So he lost it by a point. Joe, and it was one of those games where Syracuse had a punt return called back. There was, yeah. Their quarterback missed, like, an open receiver in the end zone. It just, yeah, but those, you know, your, 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 your number one pick of the week was Denver Moneyline. And it was only as close as it was because Goskowski was trying to gift the game. So that you almost got lucky that it was closer than it was. But Cincinnati, again, when I gave out Cincinnati that. Chargers over. Now, for as much crap as I gave you about having the Jets and having the Denver money line be your best of the week, the Cincy Chargers over, I hammered that under last week. 
those well, teams. Tell are you, I love good. the under. I told you I love the under. Oh yeah, that's right. You went against your gut. Yeah, that's what I told you. I did love the under. I forgot. But I just can't. So You're technically, right. technically, I did get that one. Right. There's no moral victories. You're okay. all in five. All right, I'm trying. Put on the board. I'll let you start this week. Uh, right. Not that that's going to help you, but no, uh, it's not. So, all right, for everyone listening, whatever I give you, just take the opposite. There you go. Number five pick of the week is actually tonight, Thursday night's game. I'm going first half under Bengals Browns 21. I, I really love the first half under Joe Burrow's first NFL road game, short week, divisional opponent. Some fans. Some, you got to think it's going to be very conservative play calling, especially the first half. They're going to rely heavily on Mixon, Geo, Bernard, short passing game. And I think same thing for the Browns. The Browns know they have to win tonight. Take the ball out of Baker's Mayfield's hands. Give it to Chubb and Hunt. Let them run. Let your defense work. I think it's going to be a lot of running. A lot of conservative play calling. I, I wish it was 21 and a half so I could get that 21. But again, if it's 14-7, you get the push. If it goes 20 and a half, that might be tough. I still like it, though. Uh, so Bengals-Browns first half under is my number five. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to stay away from tonight's game just because it's kind of a dumpster fire. But uh, because of that, it is another game where I do like the under. Uh, between the Bengals and the Browns. Neither offense looked good last week. After that, you come out a short week. Uh, so I think the offenses are still going to look pretty disjointed. Right. The total is 44 as I'm looking at it. I see this as kind of a 21-14, uh, 20-17 type of game in favor of the Browns. Uh, and, you know, whenever it comes to an over-under, I don't really like to pick it unless my personal score prediction is at least a touchdown away from what the over-under is. So, like, last week, you know, in that um, in that, uh, that Chargers-Bengals game, I had it as something like 21-17 Bengals, and the total was 42. So, again, I was, I was comfortably enough, I thought, away from, from the total, a few points. But this one especially, 44 is the total. Uh, I don't see more than, than five touchdowns and a field goal. So, I like the under- in tonight's game. So for my fifth pick, I'll go like you Thursday night football on the NFL's 100th birthday. Officially don't know why they scheduled this garbage on their 100th birthday, uh, right. but I will go under in this game. Uh, number four for me might be a little surprised with this, but I'm rolling with Indianapolis minus three against the Vikings. I think week one and week two are the toughest to bet in the NFL for obvious yes. reasons, but I think especially in week two, the worst thing you can do is overreact to what you saw in week one. And I think a majority of people would agree that we think the Colts are a pretty good football team. They just did not play well against the Jags. I don't think they took them seriously. And if you would have told Colts fans that they would have been one and one heading into the season after the first two games, I think they would have taken it. So they lost to the Jags. They got to get it back with Minnesota. I think because they're favored, a lot of people will bet Minnesota. They put up a lot of points against Green Bay last week. They couldn't stop them, but they put up a lot of points. But I like Indy in this spot. Phillip Rivers just needs to limit the turnovers, run Jonathan Taylor, run Naheem Hines. They don't have Marlon Mack, which hurts them. But, uh, but Indianapolis at home, again, minus three. So if they win by a field goal, it's a push. I like the number. And that's my number four is the Colts. My number four, I'll go to college and – uh, a team that I, I didn't really know what to expect anything out of going into last week. Uh, but then Derek King, who we forgot about from Houston, 
transferring to Miami looked incredible. It's our first top 20 matchup of the season. Miami is on the road against Louisville. It is a two and a half point spread. Louisville favored. Uh, I'm going to go with Miami on the money line at plus 115. I really like what I saw out of King. Um, they didn't have a good opponent last week, so that's obviously what's taken with a grain of salt. But that's your, you know, your, your, your one get right, essentially, preseason game before mm-hmm. your big game in conference against Louisville. And King looked phenomenal. He, he's got a crazy streak going right now of having a rushing touchdown and passing touchdown in a game. Uh, I think that the U is going to have a, a solid season in the ACC. I know the last few years it seems like everybody's like, oh, the U is back. Oh, Texas is back. And neither are back. Um, but the U looks good. And uh, I, I think this is a good matchup for them. Look for King to go off. I like them on the money line as the underdog. So my number three game is Louisville minus two and a half against Miami. Oh, okay. And so one of this is going to be a winner this week. Um, I love betting against college teams when you got a matchup like this and really the quarterback for one team is the by far like highlight player. Okay. Louisville's quarterback, I think, is still Puma Pass. I don't know if it is, which is a great name, by the way, but I don't know if it still is. But Miami's is De'Ara King. And because I know that, I know a lot of people will be like, well, he's pretty good. Louisville's favored. I don't know anybody on their team. Let's bet Miami. So I like Louisville. Again, I love the number. When you're laying points, it doesn't get any better than two and a half because if they win by a field goal, you're a winner. Louisville at home, prime time, under the lights. Still don't trust Manny Diaz yet. I like the Ville to win it. At- so that's my only college game of the week. I did think about Duke home against Boston College at minus six. So I got to watch Duke last week against Notre Dame. That was one of my incorrect picks. I had Notre Dame at minus 20. Mm-hmm. They were a score away from that. But um, I went away from it just because yeah, it's, it's bottom feeders of the ACC, six-point spread, not really too confident in it. So for my number three pick, I go back to the NFL. All three of the remaining picks I have are in the NFL. And for this one, um, so I was surprised to see this game spread where it is after what we saw out of both of these teams last week. Um, the Packers are only laying six at home at Lambeau against the Lions. The Lions always play their divisional opponents very close, but they collapsed against the Bears last week. The Packers came out and absolutely lit up the Vikings offensively. That game only became a closer game because of just, you know, garbage time scoring from the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers looked like, the Aaron Rodgers who was pissed off at everybody and wants to win the MVP to shut everybody up. Sure did. Um, Devontae Adams similar, had, what, 14 catches? I mean, Yeah, he, he went off. So similar to kind of how I felt last week about uh, the, the Jets and the Bills, being that it's only uh, six points, six points is a common scoreline where you can get a push. I think the Packers win this by at least a touchdown. My personal pick for this game is something in the realm of 38-24 Packers. So I was a little surprised to only see six. I'll take it. Packers minus six for my third pick. Yeah, that'll be an interesting game to see, too, how the Lions bounce back after Swift, I mean, dropped that touchdown. They should have won it. My number two game, and this really doesn't have anything to do with X's and O's, the play on the field, but I love the Patriots plus four against Seattle. Bill Belichick's mom passed away, and I think the team is really going to rally around him. When I saw that, I think – I mean, obviously, you know, the players love Belichick because he wins. He takes them to the playoffs. He takes them to the Super Bowl. And they're, they're going to want to do it for him. You're getting plus four, so you have great leeway. If it's 
a 28-24 game. If it's 27-24, then you win. The Patriots defense is still really good. Russell Wilson is a lot better than Ryan Fitzpatrick is, so they'll probably put up more than 11 points. But Cam Newton running, they're going to feed Michelle, and they're going to feed White, and they're going to feed Edelman. They won't beat themselves. These games always come down to the wire, whether it's the Super Bowl or the Sunday night game when maybe there was pass interference on Gronk, who knows. But I do like the Pats in this spot, plus four against Seattle. All right. Uh, my number two, I like a total. Atlanta-Dallas. Atlanta Over. could not stop anything <laughs> last week against the Seahawks. Dallas got in a tighter game than I thought they would against the Rams. Uh, there were scoring opportunities for both teams. They went for it on fourth down. Uh, that was a much maligned decision from Mike McCarthy. So there were points that were kind of left on the board in that game, I thought. Um, Atlanta will score at will. They will give up points at will. The total is 52. This is a game where both teams probably get into the 30s, if not both into the 30s. You got one in the 30s, one in the upper 20s. Um, so I don't think 52 is really much of a problem. This, I've got the Cowboys winning this game, and uh, they will, like I said, have 25,000 fans, according to reports at wow. Jerry World. So this is a game where I see the Cowboys coming out maybe maybe 35, maybe 38. Falcons, whether they keep it as a close game or whether they get it as garbage time touchdowns, uh, which I was very happy to get from Calvin Ridley last week on one of my Me teams. Too. Two garbage time touchdowns. Hell yeah. Um, All time. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll get their point total up as well. It's probably one of those games that's 38 to like 17 in the fourth quarter, Cowboys, and then a touchdown or two late, which, which 38-17 already is your over at 55 with a total of 52. But the, the Falcons put it way over by scoring 10 garbage time points. So I really like the over at 52 in Cowboys-Falcons. Did you think that was P.I. on Gallup at the end of the Rams game? Uh, in live speed, yes. In slow-mo, Ramsey sold it. He did. Uh, I don't have any issue with the refs making that call because he really sold it well live. And, and Gallup did push off. It he wasn't did. as pronounced as Ramsey made it out to be, but he pushed off. And I think it's a fine call. Yeah, Might have gotten overturned if that PI um, review rule was still in play. But it wasn't, it wasn't an egregious call. I'll, right. I'll say that. My number one, Joe, you sold me last week. I'm rolling with the 49ers minus seven. Okay. The Jets. <laughs> uh, bad spot for the Jets. You're getting the Niners team off a home loss, um, which they controlled most of the game. Garoppolo and company just couldn't get the job done. They're not going to mess around with the Jets. They, they don't want to give them any hope to keep this thing close. Again, you know, I get a little worried when teams like this and it's only seven the Niners are traveling across the country. They got to play a 10 a.m. kick, which may be having to do with this. And I worry because I know a lot of people are going to be on San Francisco. But like you said, sometimes you just uh, – one team's better than the other. The way the Jets looked last week, I don't think they can improve that much from this week, especially against that defense. So I like San Francisco minus seven. Same for me. I got the Niners <laughs> minus seven. You, you probably knew that that was going to be my number one. Yeah, today. I did. Um, the Jets' offense horrible. Uh, they're going up against a front seven in the Niners that will get to Sam Darnold all day long. Makai Becton was tremendous in his he debut. He is good. He is good. He was tremendous in his debut, and and I'm curious to see how he works against Nick Bosa. Any Frank um, Gore motivation though? I mean, the I guy gets to play so. his team one more time. I don't think so. No, it's, okay. There, it's it's a touchdown spread. I figure worst case scenario, we're getting a push out of this. Whether they have Kittle or not, 
they don't have Sherman. The Jets can't pass the ball anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but no Kittle could hurt, but they've got plenty of other weapons. Especially, you have Debo Samuel being out too. Like they're missing guys, but they are. But I mean, McKinnon, Mostert, Coleman, they'll run the ball down the Jets' throat. They'll control time of possession. They have other guys who Jimmy Garoppolo could target. The Jets aren't going to really put up points. Um, you and know, that Bills maybe, game could have been a lot uglier. Josh Allen didn't turn the ball right. Should have been a lot. Should have been. Yeah. Maybe no, I'm with say you. the Niners coming west to east, but I don't know. I, I go with the Niners. Um, my, That's one of those games, too, if the Jets cover, like, good for them. Because yeah, yeah, I would yeah. not bet them plus seven. You no, bet the Niners or you don't bet it. You no, just, exactly. Exactly. You know? Now, now some other games that were that stuck out for survivor pick purposes, going with the Bucks, they're not losing two in a row with Tom Brady, home against the Panthers. But they didn't like the eight and a half. Christian McCaffrey in that offense, they scored a lot last week. That's got right. backdoor cover and all over it. Um, my underdog of the week is the Giants on the road against the Bears, giving five and a half. I like that money line against the Bears. Okay. Um, so that was just, just a couple other ones to toss out there. Yeah. Not part of my best five, but um, but yeah, so that's it. Let's see. Let's see if you right. can get on the board with one like, at least this week. Hopefully, hopefully. One of us will because we're caught between Louisville yes. and Miami. Um, I got the Titans for Survivor. The Colts freaking screwed me last week, so I can't wait for another AFC South team to knock me out and I'm done. Um, and then uh, my upset, besides New England, I, I really think they might win outright. I like the Raiders on Monday night at home, oh. opening up that new stadium. It's tough betting against the Saints. They looked pretty good last week, but I don't – it sounded like Michael Thomas isn't going to play. He's not. He's out for a few weeks. Right. So, you know, and the Raiders, they're going to lean on Josh Jacobs. They got rugs. Carr looked pretty good. They put up some points on Carolina. Um, the Raiders could be a nice little upset pick on Monday night. So we'll Knock on wood if you're with me, boys. <laughs> there you go. Joe, it is that time. We have reached trivia. It is – I always forget what the score is. I believe it's five to four and a half. Uh, I thought it was six and a half to four and a half. Six and a half to four and a half? Yes, because last week – yes, it is six and a half to four and a half. Because last week, you remember last week remember, last week, remember, you got cocky and thought you could give me one more. So I gave you the half point because you could not give me that one more. Right. So I said we're back on level pegging as far as being exactly two games apart because you got the half win for you. Beautiful. I love my question for you this week. Okay. U.S. Open week. So you know I'm giving you a U.S. Open week. I went football again to see you. Okay. So there are 10 guys that are in the field this week in the U.S. Open that have won a U.S. Open. Give me five of them. Kepka does not count, obviously, because he's not in the field. Not in the field. So there are 10 guys that are playing in the field that are previous winners whenever you're ready. Okay. Uh, Tiger. Rory. Two. Okay. Um, Jordan Spieth. Three. Mm. DJ? Four. Okay. Yep. Two thousand six. I, I can't remember what year. It was 2016. Okay. I knew he had it. One at Oakmont. Yeah. Um, Spieth was 2015. Rory was 2011. Yes. yes, yes, yes. 25 um, seconds, plenty of time. Okay. Okay. Mm, you're not going to want to see uh, what certain people's scores are, by the oh. way, that you have in, <laughs> in the background. Don't tell me that. Um, that means Rory's dropping. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. You, this came up in a question already this year. Um, when it was Kepka and the guy that I said who looks like him, and it was a great battle last year between the two, and I couldn't 
Uh, oh, Gary Woodland. There Gary you Woodland. go. Okay. <laughs> Woodland, nicely done. Uh, that came, well, I don't remember what week that was, but that came up, and I was like, oh, I know this guy. He, he looks just like Kepka. It was down the stretch last year, but no, there, Gary Woodland. Okay. So you got Tiger, 2000, 2002, 2008. Lucas Glover won it in 2009. Uh, Graham McDowell at Pebble Beach, 2010. Rory, 2011. Webb won at Olympia in San Francisco. 2011. It's been nine years for Rory. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. 11 years at Congressional. 2012, Webb won it at Olympic. Justin Rose, 2013 at Marion. Martin Keimer, 2014. Jordan Speed, 2015. DJ, 2016. Kepko was 17 and 18, but he's not playing. And then Gary Woodman was last year. So well done. All right. All right. It is the NFL's 100th birthday today officially. Uh, so sticking with the number 100 theme, uh, last year, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players who had at least five 100-yard rushing games. Now, if I were to just say give me five of the eight, um, that would be a bit too easy because there's, there's one absolute gimme if you paid attention to anything last year, obviously, and that's Ezekiel Elliott. So I'm going to say besides Zeke because he had seven last year and – uh, and missed, I think, was it one game or two games. So he was – so aside from Zeke, because that one was very, very obvious, um, of the remaining seven, I'd like you to give me five of the guys who had at least five 100-yard rushing games. Understood? Okay. Yeah. All right. Got it. Your timer starts now. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram did not. Really? Christian McCaffrey. Right. Yes. Um. Maybe Saquon, Kamara, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is another one of them, yes. Uh, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb. You've gotten the three who had the most, seven for Chubb, six for Henry, six for McCaffrey. That's why I wanted to take Zeke out of the equation because you were probably going to get those three anyway. So. Uh, I mean, Barkley might have. Aaron Jones might have. 40 seconds gone. Let's see. Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs is with nice. five exactly on the nose. You've got nice. four. Uh, let's see. So three possibilities remaining, two strikes, and you need one more. You've got to get one of the three remaining. Chris Carson. Chris Carson had six. There you go. The other couple of guys were Aaron Jones, who you mentioned. Yes. And Lamar Jackson got five. So you had a Raven. <laughs> you had a Raven, but it was True. not Mark Ingram instead. Look at that. When was the last time we both got it, right? I know. That was pretty good. See, Saquon, I I just – I knew he didn't – At four. Yeah. Just missed getting it at five marks. Seven and a half to five and a half. Look at that, Joe. Well done. We both got it. Seven and a half to five and a half. Good way to end the episode. Uh, Again, no guests this week, but we're hoping to have – Worm counts. String it. (laughs) That's true. We did have worm on. So, uh, awesome show. A lot of sports. U.S. Open, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, and NBA. Again, well, a little yeah, bit everything for anyone. Like we said, it was, if there was a week where there was going to be no guest, we're glad it was this week because there was so much else to cover. Pretty damn uh, good one, yep. It was a last-minute thing with the Big Ten starting. We will have that guest who shall remain nameless as a surprise if, yep. or in case anything else pops up, don't want to promise exactly. it and not deliver. Uh, but he, he is slated for October 1. And our guest for next week, uh, another – Going back again to our NBC Sports Washington folks, who is now starting a podcast of his own, and that should be a very fun episode. A lot of high energy from this guy. Absolutely. Really enjoy that. 
Uh, and then, and then we, we are looking to start to get some, some repeats back on the pod as well beyond that. So definitely after this week of, of the no guests, after 16 weeks in a row with one, we've got a really nice lineup coming up again. And uh, we're, you know, PJ, for, for no sports at the beginning, all the sports now, it's sad that we're actually only a couple of weeks away from it dying down again because we're a couple of weeks away from the NBA and NHL going I know, away. I know. Um, we but, do uh, got football back, though, which is a lot back, of pain. That's, that, that, <laughs> that, that does help. Yes. Well, this was fun, Jill. I'm going to go watch some golf, okay? Go watch some golf. I appreciate that. I got to see how bad Rory's shit in the bed. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. So this was fun, and uh, we'll see you all next week.